everybody this is mike with hunting ain't easy and uh it's been about a week since my uh last hunt uh if you heard the the most recent episode that i put out uh you you've heard some of the the live content that i recorded while i was out in the woods and uh, you know that i have been successful finally harvesting my first buck here in California on public land, backcountry, basically over-the-counter, do-it-yourself hunt. Um, not archery, though. I was going to say it's it's the hardest way to go, uh, but it's not. I, if this had been with the archery equipment, then I, I think I could say that in good conscience. But uh, this was during the, the general season, so I had a rifle with me. And um, I just – there's been uh, – there's been a number of things I've, I've wanted to sit down and talk about. And so this is going to be a little bit of a rambling episode, uh, all hunting, hunting focused and, um, things I've learned, things I've, I think I've learned, uh, lessons, good and bad in the back country and whatnot. And, uh, as well as we'll focus on the specific hunt, uh, Thursday evening to Sunday midday, um, that was the adventure I had last weekend with my first buck. And so um, bear with me. I think there'll be some interesting moments here for you. And I think uh, if you're, if you're like me in the sense that you're, you're constantly evolving and, and learning and, and adding to your overall skill set in terms of hunting, um, hopefully I'll have a few tidbits of information that'll be, uh, you know, valuable for you and you'll find, uh, good for the knowledge base as well as just genu generally entertaining. Um, I, I think at, at kind of a high level, one of the things that clicked with me back in August when I went on my archery hunt um, was that there's a significant difference between scouting and running trail cameras. Um, I was on public land in one of the D zones, uh, trailhead around 6,000 feet, hiked in, uh, first night around 8,400. And then the rest of the hunt was in the nine to 10,000 foot range. And in that area, I actually ran some trail cameras last year. Um, and I ran some trail cameras again this year. And something that I found is that, you know, drive three hours, hike three to four hours to get into the area. You know, at this point I'm seven to eight hours in invested, just getting into the area. I'm going to hunt setting trail cameras up. Um, it takes time. You know, you got to scout where you're going to put them. You got to get there, hike there, set them up, check them, make sure they're working right. Hike to the next one. Um, basically, you know, setting up a handful of trail cameras in an area like that, backcountry, it's a two-day deal. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a get there, hike in, you know, set a couple up, camp, set a, set a couple more up, hike out, drive home. And um, so it's time consuming and that's just the setup. And then if I want to check those cameras, um, before the season starts, if I'm hunting that area this year and I want to rely on the information I can get for those, from those cameras for this season, 
then I've got another, you know, day and a half to two day trip down there to check the cameras uh, and then take some time at home to, to really go through the, what was on the cards, see what kind of images I've got, see what kind of animals I've got and try to learn something interesting from those that, what I've, the information I now have. Um, so that's two trips to take inventory and I'm generally moving as quickly as I can. So I'm hiking, bushwhacking, you know, hiking overland, uh, no trails typically. I'm not moving as though I'm trying to see deer while I'm there. I'm just moving from point to point, trying to figure out where to put these cameras, get them set up and then move to the next one. Which means in those two trips, I really haven't been scouting. I mean, obviously I'm taking note on, you know, water sources and, and where it might be a good spot to camp. And if I do see animals, fantastic. If I'm staying overnight, uh, I'm going to glass some in the morning, a couple hours maybe. Um, the evening that I'm there, I'm going I'm to glass some. But I'm not treating it like a real scouting trip. So at that point, I've got four days of time invested in a handful of cameras and I haven't really been truly scouting. Um, and I've pulled those cards once and hopefully I've, you know, hopefully more than half the cameras are productive in telling me something. And um, if they're not productive in telling me something, I'm going to move them, which takes more time. And uh, I won't know what that spot's going to tell me until I check them again. So what I'm getting at is that on that six day hunt, supposed to be a nine or 10 day hunt, but remember I broke my bow sight and hiked out early. Um, so on that six day hunt, <clears throat> I had checked the cameras that were there one time going into that hunt. And thankfully I had, I had some pretty good images and videos of, uh, of bucks. So I had some ideas about where, where to be. And I'd been, I'd, I'd run cameras there the year before too. Um, but one of the things about running cameras, I mentioned that you're you're moving a lot, hiking around, and that means you're also running your scent throughout the area that you're trying to learn. You're running your scent throughout the area that you're trying to hunt. And um, I actually think that there have been times in one of the other spots I've, I've run cameras for four years now, or I didn't this year for this reason, but for four years prior, I was going in there every couple weeks to check these cameras. And it was, it was, it was a great adventure. It was a lot of fun. Great hobby. Uh, gets you outdoors, gets you out in the woods. Um, you know, you're learning about, you're learning what, what deer are there, what animals are there. Um, but traipsing through, you know, the bedroom, <laughs> the dining room, and, uh, you know, the other bedroom of, of these wild animals, um, the deer, they start to become annoyed by the amount of foot traffic that they're experiencing. And they start to work on other, other paths of travel, or they just become a little more keyed up and more sensitive to changes of scent, you know, human scent in the area. And so I actually think in the past, I, I've run, been too active with the cameras in an area. And um, actually my scent by being there so much is, has negatively affected my ability to hunt that zone. 
And so to a degree, I was aware of that this year with this zone down in um, Central California. And so not only had I invested before the hunt, four days of setting, getting to setting up cameras, getting down there again, checking them. Um, that's time that I didn't spend truly scouting. And what I mean by that is the time that I was hiking around from point to point, I could have spent, you know, up on a ridge, um, you know, an entire day or two just watching, just watching the wildlife from up high, watching the, the, you know, the timber, the edges of timber and open space, uh, looking for those open pockets where, where deer are going to hang out. Um, <clears throat> and so it clicked with me when I was down there for that August hunt, that there's, there's definitely a difference between running trail cameras and, and, and scouting, um, and I need to differentiate those in my mind and in my planning uh, significantly. And so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, I love I love trail cameras. I've got trail cameras in um, in a handful of places this year, <clears throat> and I think I think I'd already kind of keyed into this idea early this this spring because. I put some cameras up into some of the X zones that I hopefully will get to hunt one of them next year. And the other two, one of them will probably be at least five to seven years out after that. And then the other one might be a year or two out. So kind of looking strategically. But my goal with that is exactly to to achieve what what i've just described is like differentiate between running trail cameras to check inventory on animals versus actually doing the scouting and pre-hunt scouting that's needed so in those zones i've put some cameras up and left them literally a couple of them i put up the first weekend of may and um the you never know with cameras, man. You know, if you if you put something up and you know some bushes or weeds grow up in front of it and they're waving in the wind, you can fill up an SD card very quickly. And so I don't know if I'm going to get pictures from May and June <laughs> on these, and then that's it, full card, dead batteries. You know, who knows? Or am I going to get pictures on these? You know, May, June, July, August, September, October. You know, throughout. So hopefully it's this great steady pace of wildlife photos um, throughout the the spring, summer, and fall season. But I, you know, I'll be lucky if that's the case. But anyways, I I, I put them up there and I've left them, and they will inform my next move in those zones in terms of you know shift them around, invest more time with the cameras there start to invest some time scouting. Where am I going to put some points next year to, to hunt? Um, so that's truly, I think, where cameras are at their best is, is when I'm, I'm looking for, you know, proof of life and inventory of animals and, and type of animals that are there. Am I roughly in the right spot? And it's not an active hunt scouting situation. 
so I think I think if you're going to do both, you got to differentiate the two. And I think it's important to separate or at least understand that seeing animals on your trail cameras tells you where they've been. Hey, this buck was here. This buck is here at night all the time. Okay, great. Your buck, that buck's there at night all the time. Well, that buck is somewhere during the day too. Um, probably close by, but not in front of your camera. Uh, I've lived this, man. I've I've absolutely lived this experience where I've got cameras that catch bucks frequently. Um, and by the time we get into the fall, it's at, it's at night. And that's informative. I know there's a buck there. It's probably living within that square mile, if not less. But I'm not seeing where it is during the day. And so unlike getting up on a ridge and doing some scouting or just sitting and watching. Um, you know, if I've got some broken timber where I can look, look down into, into some timber and, and watch for animals to move by watching over, you know, several hundred acre area, um, I might see more that way than just knowing that it, that a buck cruises through my, this camera zone, this camera area at night. Uh, so w- how's that relevant to this last hunt? Um, I, I have to, it's all, I'm going to contradict myself to a certain degree. Um, because in this last hunt, the cameras that I had in this basin were actually very helpful. Um, and I guess this is where you can, you can, you can take, some camera information and dissect it and come up with a theory that may or may not help you in your actual hunting. But uh, this area that I hunted last weekend and was successful with, um, I it's it's a it's a big you know classic Sierra Nevada basin. You know, there's a ridge um, that runs in the, say, we'll say 8,000 foot range. And then the basin itself, you know, there's multiple basins, there's a basin and then some finger ridges that shoot out from, you know, at the sides and there's another basin beyond that. And so, you know, you've got your big basin, it's a mile or two across and it, it, it's got, um, finger ridges that go down in it and different cuts. And it's got exposures from one side that are kind of, you know, Southwest exposures to the other side of the basin has, you know, practically like a Northeast exposure. It doesn't quite make a full circle, but it's like 270 degrees of a circle. And so you've got a lot of different exposures and you've got um, different drainages within it. And then of course they all come together roughly at the bottom. And so, you know, you can find this, a basin that matches this description in every zone um, every county, every zone, up and down the Sierra Nevada, and probably in every high alpine zone in the Western United States. Um, so I'd had a, I had a few cameras effectively placed across the basin in in a, in a few different spots. Um, and when I got in on Friday, actually I got in Thursday evening with the intent of scouting Friday, and so uh, got in Friday and um started checking these cameras and the first couple cameras that i checked and i was checking them kind of sequentially across the basin and so the first couple cameras i checked had 
a lot of deer activity on them, like daily. And so they were in good spots in terms of seeing wildlife. Um, daily fawn and doe activity. Um, there's three of them like this. Daily fawn and doe activity. High traffic, you know, middle of the day, morning, evening, um, of different levels of nighttime activity. And, um, but zero bucks. One of the cameras had a single buck on it at one point, but the others had zero bucks on them, which I thought was remarkable. Um, you know, these blacktail hybrid mule deer, mule deer, how, whatever you want to call them here on the Western slope of the Sierra Nevada um, in the D zones, you know, they are, they're not patternable to the degree that they use the same exact trail all the time. Um, but but they use the same general areas, you know, they move from point A to point B, uh, at, at similar times of day, you know, within any part of the season, they'll, they'll do some of the same things. And so I thought it was remarkable that these cameras had effectively no buck activity on them, but a lot of fawn and doe activity. And so I can't remember Somebody, somebody, I think somebody said on like Facebook, you know, if you're seeing lots of does, then you're in the nursery and, you know, don't hunt the nursery. The nursery is not where the bucks are going to be. And I, I've, I've felt the same way about the, the area I hunt in central California, because when I get out of the trip, get on the trail at 6,000 feet, I always see a doe or two. I always see a fawn. Um, I always see, you know, um, a, 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 an animal that's not legal. <laughs> <laughs> there in that 6,000, 7,000 foot elevation. And then as I get higher up, um, I continue to see does and fawns, but I also start seeing bucks more often. So anyways, in this basin where I was in last weekend, we'll see three of the cameras, lots of traffic, lots of activity, uh, totally patternable, but fawns and does. And then finally, when I got across to the other side of the basin, um, into the more lush timber area where there was still some water in one of the drainages, um, I'd say of the seven like cuts throughout this basin that, that were drainages of their own that eventually fed to the same creek at the bottom of these seven at the time, I, I, figured out that only that one of them had water turns out two of them had water if you go deep enough down but um this one camera literally in series at the end of the series of of, of cameras across the basin had bucks on it. it had frequent bucks it also had some of those same fawns and does but it had the bucks. And so I was like, okay, this is where they are. This is where, this is the pocket of area there on this side. Um, I think it had more of a Northern exposure, um, Northern and Eastern exposure, as opposed to the Western and more Southern exposure that some of the other spots had, but that's where they were hanging out. And they were clearly hanging out um, with a tighter pattern uh, than, than the does and fawns because the does and fawns, assuming these are the same animals that I've seen, you know, two fawns and a doe spots on the fawns at the same time, you know, they're cruising all over the place. It may have been multiple does and multiple fawns sets that I saw. 
And so maybe they weren't the same. They weren't traveling that much. But anyways, in this one area, this is where I started to see multiple bucks on these cameras and, um, and some really impressive bucks too. Like, like, you know, some bucks with, you know, three by three, four by three, you know, two, you know, two by two forky, but with, with really deep, tall, deep forks, you know, tall rat, tall antler. Um, so that got me jazzed. That got me pretty excited. And so in, in this one instance, I will have to say that the cameras not only gave me a story about what animals were in the area, but also that there was some differentiation that one side of the basin was very different in terms of buck behavior than the other side. Um, and, and thank goodness, uh, boy, if I'd only run those first three cameras, I would have come up thinking the bucks are in a different County or they're just completely somewhere else because I wouldn't have had any on those cameras. So happy that I sampled, you know, multiple different areas within the space. And I think that's important. If you're going to run some cameras, you know, do, do something, set them up so that there's enough difference or distance between them to where you feel like you can get a different sampling of, of animals too. So what this, uh, you know, what, what it kind of cements for me is the theory that, you know, if you're seeing only does and fawns, uh, you're in a good area for deer, but you're just not in the right area. The area that the bucks are in is probably close by. Um, I would skew towards, um, it's, they're going to be in denser timber. Uh, they're going to be at higher elevation, maybe a little bit of both. And, or if water is an issue, which I think it is this year, they're going to have a pattern that is more tightly wound around that water and the forge that's close by or that, that comes with that water. So where the does and fawns are cruising, you know, a mile or two a day, um, the bucks might just be moving a few hundred yards. So if you've got lots of does and fawns on your cameras, or if you're, if you're glassing and scouting, you're seeing lots of does and fawns, the bucks are there. You're just not seeing them. Um, they're probably not too far away. They're just in a position that's more difficult to spot and probably more difficult to access without being detected. Um, so that's, that's my takeaway on that. Uh, the bachelor party is happening somewhere in that region. You just got to dig in and, and figure out what's, what, what the terrain differentiation is between what those does and fawns are seeking out and where the bucks are, are, uh, spending their time. Um, I mentioned water. I think this year, especially, you know, data is coming out saying this is the driest year on record, the driest water year on record, or the second driest water year on record, you know, in the last, since like 1880. So no doubt, um, California has had a drought for the last year, very dry, uh, year in terms of snow and, and also a lack of precipitation of any kind in, uh, the Northern mountains. Um, I know, I think the central mountains got some decent, uh, thunder showers this summer, some monsoons, but Northern zones really haven't had anything to speak of. So I think water is a, an issue this year. 
um, talked to somebody just today. They're hunting one of the X zones and uh, the people that they're, they're, they're speaking with and their experience um, compared to other experiences in the past is that the bucks are a lot lower elevation. They're, they're getting down basically, you know, you figure there's water that flows underground in these mountains all the time to varying degrees. And so when the water stops flowing across the surface, there's often aquifers in the granite, you know, in the mountain down below that are still flowing. It's the surface water that we can't, that we don't see anymore. And so there's still water flowing and where that water breaks the surface, whether it's a seep or a spring, um, you know, or, you know, two years ago might've been a spring this year, it's a seep, you know, next year, it's just a little moist spot in the dirt, uh, that eventually forms a Creek. And so what I found with this basin that I was in is that there was a lack of, um, a lack of surface water, except for in two spots across a basin that I think you know, the ridge line around it's probably two miles, you know, distance across it's a mile and a half. And, um, and in the spring, there'd probably be, like I said, probably seven or more creeks running down this, this basin. And so now in this instance, you're down to no creeks, really. Um, you got to get a thousand feet off the top to get into real, real like running water of any of any significance and so water is important for a couple reasons it's important for um the hunters of course because we need it if we're going to be back there for a few days and it's important for the for the bucks too um so identifying when you're out there scouting and there's creeks running everywhere and there's still snow melt um it's easy to forget about the water issue when there's plenty but fast forward you know from your early july scouting or even your early august scouting go forward a month to six weeks to eight weeks and if it hasn't rained um you got to think about where's that what's that water going to look like what are these seeps going to look like what are these springs going to look like and how is that going to tighten up the pattern for the bucks how's it going to tighten up the pattern you know, for all the wildlife. And then what can you do about it? What can you do to benefit from it? So definitely keep that in mind. Um, and then the other thing is for yourself, uh, you're going to expend a lot of energy getting into the, into the back country. If you're, if you're doing backpack hunting, um, it's still warm out there, you know, mid September, it's in the seventies, it's sunny. You're going to sweat like a, you're going to sweat like a beast. Um, it could be, even if it's cooler air and windy, you might feel like, oh, it's not that hot, but that wind will strip moisture from you so quickly. And so you really need to be thoughtful about, well, what are you going to do for water? And um, I hiked in Thursday evening with more water than I like to carry. I usually just like to carry two or three liters. I hiked in with five liters because I knew I wanted to spend Hey, I want to get in that evening, but I also want to spend the entire next day scouting. And I wanted to have that time, that, that, that water inventory on me in order to um, have the next day to find water, to figure out what's the water situation in here. 
And, and am I going to stick with it? You know, if I'd gotten back in there and I was going to have to drop, you know, 1500 feet down every day just to get water for the day. And I was going to spend, you know, two, three hours a day for water. I might've said, forget it. Like I might've just pulled the plug and bounced. Um, so I hiked in with about five liters and by, I think about, you know, midday, two o'clock or so the next day, Friday, um, I had, I had located a spring that was going to be able to supply me. And, um, interestingly enough, uh, so in July, when I was in there about 10 weeks before there, there's this spring or Creek that was running down, the snow was gone and this is water that was just coming out of the mountainside. So it was, you know, beautiful, fresh. Um, there's a little bit of a puddle and I actually kind of dug the puddle out with my hands. I got in there and kind of scooped out some of the dirt and gravel from the base of this and used that to kind of build up a little bit of a berm. And so I went from this puddle that was, you know, three by three feet round, three inches deep to something that was, um, you know, five, five feet around and about five inches deep. And yeah, it's, it's a total crapshoot. I don't know if, if this is going to stick, is it going to, A, will the water continue to get flow and B, you know, will, will this little berm, this earthen dam that I built, you know, with gravel and, and dirt and sticks and stuff, will it last, um, or will it get blasted out somehow or just erode? Um, but anyways, by about two in the afternoon on Friday, I'd gotten back to this spot and, confirmed that the the water coming into this was down to an absolute trickle um there was it was not enough to where like you could just put a a nalgene bottle up under a rock and catch it falling it was just an absolute you know surface level trickle that was coming into this puddle and there's pollen and you know dirt basically on the surface of the puddle so the puddle was was not quite that crisp clean you know, lovely cold water that you like to get out of the mountain um, earlier in the year, but it was functional as a source of water. So um, that was good. Uh, I figured that, found that. And so you really have to plan your water game um, because there is, well, a couple things. Hiking in with a significant supply of water is no fun at all. It's just heavy. <laughs> um, I don't want to do it. You know, I don't want to hike in with three days worth of water. Forget it. Um, and then the other thing is once you're back there, water's critical. Like you can get yourself into trouble. Uh, even when it's not that hot, you can get yourself into trouble if it's super dry and you can't come up with, with a decent water supply. So definitely keep that in mind. Um, additional wrinkle to the story, of course, is that in this spot um this is the spot where i'd had a camera in this area too and i thought well and and this is the spot where these bucks were showing up on the camera so i'm immediately like double-edged sword well i gotta get into this spot to get water cool i gotta get in this spot and i'm gonna put my scent all over the place and it's gonna scare these bucks away not cool so um if you're down to the last spring on the mountainside, you're going to be sharing it with a lot of other wildlife and they may not take kindly to your scent. So uh, just keep that in mind. Um, 
So anyways, uh, we'll talk about the hunt a little more. Um, you know, Friday, I, I scouted, I checked these cameras, figured out that it seemed like the bucks were on one side of the basin and, and definitely not the other side of the basin. Um, and uh, once I'd done that, I, I continued to hike along the trail. Thankfully, there's a trail in here that could kind of interconnect these different ridges and basins. And so continue to hike down the trail a little bit and uh, went another mile or so to check out the next basin, which I really hadn't scouted much at all. But it's like, it's super bucky. You know, it's got, it's got multiple different ridges, finger ridges. It's got some cliffs. It's got, uh, you know, what looks like a meadow down at the bottom. Um, lots of moisture down there. Um, it's got, it's got many different kind of channels that, that wildlife could go, you know, up and down throughout the basin, you know, change in elevation easily. Uh, it's got broken, broken timber in several spots where you can literally see through into the timber and see, you know, what might be bedding areas and foraging areas. Uh, the open slopes have, have sage, um, as, as decent forage. And so it just, it just looks like, you know, this buck heaven. Um, and so I went over there and spent most of the evening and glassed it. And I thought, I'm going to see some bucks stepping out. I'm going to see some deer stepping out. Um, once this, uh, once the sun gets behind the ridge and we've got some, some, you know, some long shadows and, you know, indirect light, um, so things start cooling down, I'm going to see bucks. And so I sat there until about 10 minutes before sunset and no dice. So three hours, two, three hours glassing, just nothing. So that's always frustrating, but, um, that's often my experience with evening glassing. But, um, anyways, <clears throat> no deal, no deal. And, uh, at this point, um, on Friday, what did I see? I saw, uh, I did see a, a, a couple deer on kind of an exposed ridge down in the basin, uh, around nine, nine to 10 AM. I saw those two deer, uh, they bedded off in some shadows and some timber that I would never have seen them glassing over them i would have just glassed right past them they're so they become so invisible in the shadows so if you can see them out in the open and then follow them you know glassing them into their into their beds then you can pick them up but otherwise it's so hard to see them when they're in the timber um so there's those two and then as a hiking across the basin to uh to see um to check these cameras and whatnot and find this water source um I saw a spike and either a young, another young buck or a, or a, or a doe. So I saw two, four, and then I also bumped a doe and probably a yearling. Um, maybe it was this year's fawn had lost its, its spots if that's the case. So six. And um, I want to say I saw, yeah. And then, when I was hiking over this this other basin that I was going to glass up, I saw another deer, um, but it may have been one of the same ones I saw earlier. So I may have seen seven deer, or I may have seen four deer, but but multiple times on on that Friday. Um, so yeah, it was good. Uh, the spike buck, hey, there's male deer in this area, um, but I didn't see any of the legal bucks. Uh, that's for sure. So. <clears throat> 
anyways, Friday, Friday evening, uh, glassy, I didn't see anything. So I figured Saturday I'm going to, um, oh, the other thing is for me, from my view, I was five to seven miles in. And when I say that, it doesn't mean I'm five to seven miles from every road. I'm five to seven miles from the trailhead that I took in. Um, there's access points below me. Um, I'll say 2,000, 1,500 feet to 2,000 vertical feet below me, which I think somebody coming in from that vantage point or that access, mostly off trail, um, you know, four miles all uphill. <laughs> so I wasn't using that. I wanted to come in at a little higher van higher access with, with less elevation gain. And then, uh, you know, the difference between hiking on a trail and hiking, um, <clears throat> on, uh, you know, going to overland is just so different. Like you can actually, you can move pretty quick when you're on trail. And then, um, there's also an access to this area that's got that I think is more of a Jeep road, you know, truly like off-road vehicle type thing that I just, I don't have. And so not something I could bring my, my vehicle on. But anyways, I've been back there a few times. Uh, saw hunters one time last year, uh, just two, but not, not a significant number. And then on these cameras, it's funny. I put cameras in good spots, I think, because I never see people on them. <laughs> like I'll put, yeah, I've got the cameras across this whole basin. You know, there's a trail close by. Nobody, they never catch people. They never get people just randomly walking around the woods, which I think is good. Like that's, to me, that's a good sign is that if, if my cameras never pick up human activity, then they're in the right spot. Um, so I'm expecting that I've got this place but to myself. Uh, I didn't see anybody the evening that I was hiking in. I saw no human activity. I saw no sign of human activity. You know, the forest has basically been closed for the last month to six weeks. Um, and I'm thinking I've got this place to myself and the deer have forgotten what human interaction, human scent is even, is even like. And so I, I think I'm in a good spot to see deer acting like, you know, deer, um, not hiding out from people. So Saturday morning, got up really early. It, it was, it wasn't a full moon. It was about four days off of a full moon, but I could actually hike without my headlamp. It was so cool. Um, little windy, uh, cool as in neat and, uh, cool as in, as in brisk as well with the wind. But, uh, I could hike a couple miles without a headlamp and I got a good early start, which was nice and got over into that basin that I had glassed the evening before thinking I'm going to get in there and tuck in and get set up to, to watch the sunrise and be there for, you know, be there for that half hour before the sun's even up as, as we go from, you know, darkness to, to just barely visible and then glassable light. And I'm going to spend a few hours on this base and, and check it out and, and hopefully see some, some deer. So always like everybody has, you know, this infectious, you know, just total delusional optimism, um, with what's, what's coming up. Uh, and so I'm settled in and, uh, I hear something above me and I turn around and, you know, this is like, right, right. As sun's coming up, I turn around, there's a dude there. He's, he's hiking in. I'm like, wow, like 
there's somebody else back here. And he asked if I'd seen any other traffic. Was, so also, as I was hiking over this two miles along the ridge, I look back just to see, you know, hey, are there, are there headlamps back where I was? You know, what's going on that way in the darkness? Do I see any headlamps coming in from, from the trailhead that I'd come in on? And, you know, it's clear enough to where you could see a headlamp coming in on the trail like three miles away. And so sure enough, close to where I'd camped, but not near the trail. So I don't know if they camped there or not, but I saw a couple, I saw at least one or two headlamps. So I'd seen some people, um, you look off into the forest, you know, literally miles away, you're starting to start to see some lights down in the valley, you know, where it's basically, you know, it's forest roads and whatnot. You're starting to see cars moving into the forest. And so here they come, here comes the army opening day morning. Uh, the forest is alive with headlamps and, 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 and vehicle lights. Um, but anyways, I'm thinking I've got this area to myself. And so turn around, sure enough, there's a hunter. He's hiking in. He says he has seen more people that morning than he's ever seen in the entire, this entire area ever. Um, he saw a group of four people about a mile back. You know, he's got, there's this guy up on the ridge over here and there's this guy over here. And I'm like, wow. So anyways, Hey, you know, best of luck to you. We kind of clear up like what, what our plans are and, and, um, make sure we're not going to be crawling on top of each other. And, and so that was cool. That was fair. You know, no, no animosity there. And, um, so then I'm glassing and I look and literally like a mile across this basin on a ridge directly opposite me, I see two people sitting there. Uh, we could have waved at each other. And, and then I look up on the ridge at the back, at kind of at the head of the basin. And I see people, see somebody up on the, on the ridge. Uh, I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And then like an hour later, two guys walk past me on the trail. Hey, how's it going? good luck, good luck, you know? And so it's, um, it's like a freeway back there. But when you think about it, everybody's hunting plans because of the fire closures, everybody's hunting plans are just completely jacked up. Um, you know, backcountry hunting as an option, you know, with, with camping is, has been completely changed because so many different zones have, you know, they're either closed or they have, you know, camping restrictions, or they have access restrictions, and then obviously from a time perspective, you know, the opportunity to actually get out, you know, all of archery season was closed basically. And so people, both from a time perspective and a where they can go perspective, it, they're everybody's compressed and excited to get out and hunt. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're, if you're four or six miles in, it doesn't matter. People just want to get out there. And so I saw seven, seven or eight people that morning within the first two hours, which I've just never experienced before. Um, and so uh, glassing this basin though, I didn't see uh, any bucks. I saw one doe down in the meadow, kind of deep at the bottom of the basin where that where all the water comes together, where the seeps, I like to say that where the seeps turn into creeks, um, that's where that, that doe was. But uh, I don't know if there are any bucks in that basin or not, but man, they were, they weren't moving and I wasn't seeing them. So by about 9 AM, I decided to get up and, uh, and head back to the basin close to where I camped a little North of me and wanted to head back in there. And at this point I decided that I was basically going to, going to creep down through kind of still hunt through the timber 
that was above and then along the creek or the you know the spring the trickle of water um that was on this one side of the basin where where it seems like the bucks may have been a little more active and so my theory was you know kind of hike slowly check some of the finger ridges get out on some of the points just to do a little bit of glassing um over the next couple hours to get back you know kind of cover this mile or so backtracking over about a two hour period and then get back in there in the timber and, uh, and basically take, you know, as much time as it needs, you know, go, you know, five, 10 yards of a shot, sit down on my butt and just observe what's going on in the woods. And so, uh, between like 11, well, between nine and, and 1 PM, I worked my way back over there and then worked my way back down. And, and I got to a spot where um, I had about a 150 yard, van- 150 yard view or vantage point overlooking uh, this area where my little seep was that it turned into a, that, that I was using for, for water. And looking down this slope, um, you know, I had like, say 30 to 50 yards clear view width and then about 150 yards uh view downhill distance and so and i knew there was moisture and water at the bottom and i there's some broken timber along it and the 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 bushes weren't so thick that that i you know if something was moving through the bushes i could see them so i just figure i'm going to set up here and um there's a lot of hunters in the woods and they're moving around and they're probably going to bump deer and, and disturb, disturb the deer from their, their daytime beds, you know? And so my best opportunity is going to be to sit still and, and not be the one that's bumping them. Um, and just watch. And I'm going to be here in this spot until, uh, sunset. You know, I'm like, this is my spot. I'm going to just plug in and, and get comfortable and hope to see uh, some of these bucks step out when they're either getting bumped by others or they're moving around um, to get water to feed midday. Um, The other thing that I'll say about the midday part is that, um, so we were about four days off of of a full moon. The moonlight at night was enough to walk around in the woods without a headlamp. So it's still really bright. You can have a full moon sometimes where it, the moon rises is so early or so late that it doesn't really affect the nighttime that much. But in this case, the moon rise was like 9 PM and it was just directly overhead for the entire night. And so, you know, deer are going to be more active overnight when they've got that full moon and they've got that, that light. And so the theory that I've heard, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, full moon messes with the deer. I, I think it may change their habit from being super active right at sunrise because they've been up feeding a lot, but they're going to get up and move. And, and the, the, the anecdotes and the theories that I've heard is that when you've got a full moon, deer are more active during the middle of the day because, you know, they got to get up and feed. They got to get up and water. They're going to move, move around some, you know, every four to six hours. And so if they were up a lot at night and then they weren't up a lot, say 6A to 
9a, then, you know, basically that midday portion, they're going to get up and move around more. Um, I'm new enough to this where I don't know if that's true, but I will say that I saw a deer on Friday moving around between nine and two, nine and one quite a bit. Um, I don't think I was the one bumping them ex exclusively. And so they were up moving around some. Uh, and in two instances, they were moving towards the side of the basin that I was, that I was going to be on to hunt. And so things started to line up for me like, okay, you know, yesterday the deer were moving this way. Um, I look back at some of the camera images that I had and the bucks that were moving around this spot. Um, they were on camera midday, like four days before the full moon. So roughly the same amount of light at night, same kind of disruption, same kind of pattern as, as the light that we had at that you know, during the hunt. So I'm like, all right, well, if they were there midday, four days before the full moon, maybe they'll be there four days after the full moon too, because the, the amount of light's the same. So I'm just trying to weave together as many theories as I can, uh, try to make this add up to something that I can use. And so I, I sat down in this spot expecting midday or afternoon movement, uh, expecting that with the broken timber, I could see animals coming or going from through this area or into this area. And then also thinking that the water source was going to be meaningful to them as well. So sat down. Um, got in, tucked in with, uh, kind of behind me was a, a thicket of, of, um, kind of twisted up, you know, pine trees, conifers that were all twisted and contorted, uh, probably from snow load, you know, every year. And, uh, I just figured I'd, I'd just sit my butt back into these things and, and see what's going to go on. And so as soon as I sit down, I, uh, get settled and I look down slope, glass it for a minute or two, and then kind of start fiddling with my stuff and getting it rearranged um, and then glass it again and boom, like literally I've been there for five minutes and there's a buck standing down there just looking up at me and I didn't see him walk in. So I don't know if he was bedded there. Um, I don't know if he just walked in. I don't know what, but he's standing down there looking up at me and I'm like, I'm going to be like, Oh shit. It's, it's getting real. Like this is, this is the real deal. Um, and so I glass him with my binos and he's just looking right up. I don't think he can see me per se. He just, he could see there was some movement. Um, the wind also, I'll note this. I didn't want to get into this area. The winds in the mornings were kind of moving across this area in such a way that my, my scent would have been blown down to them. But the afternoon winds were steady, just straight in my face. So coming uphill and directionally in my face. And so there's no way he was going to, he was going to smell me. Um, nothing, nothing downslope of me was going to smell me at this point. So that was good too. Um, got to keep, keep an eye on, on what you what the wind's doing with your scent. Um, anyways, he's standing there looking at me and I'm, I'm, like, okay, grab the rifle, range it, um, grab the rifle. <laughs> um, I look at my, I had screenshot kind of the ballistics chart for the, for 
my rifle and the load I'm using and the elevation I'm at, I'd screenshot that. And, um, you know, it's got like it, but it doesn't account for slope. And so I first, I dialed, I think two clicks on the rifle, but then I looked on, on the scope, but, uh, then I realized that that doesn't count for the slope and I'm, I'm, I'm on a 16 to 17 degree slope. So it's a pretty good, pretty good downslope. So at that point, I'm like, I'm going to take time to put this into the Hornady ballistics calculator on my phone, plug that in, and it ends up being like one click different. So I, I back it off a click. And uh, and now it's like, okay, I, I got to do this. And the buck's still there. It's, but, you know, it's only been a minute, but uh, for me, I'm fiddling all over the place and my heart's starting to pump. And um, hands are shaking, <laughs> dry mouth. It's like everything, um, you know, total buck fever kicking in. And uh, I'm trying to get comfortable with a shot on this downhill slope, trying to figure out how to get, use my backpack as a rest. Um, can I do this without a rest? And I'm not satisfied with anything. And then I realize there's this stump right in front of me. It's like two and a half, three feet tall. I'm like, that's it. But it's like, it's six feet in front of me. So I got to scooch down to it. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to scooch down to the stump. Buck's going to bail. Um, but I scooch down to it. Buck's still standing there. And so I set up, kind of pull off, set up. I probably set up and, and put my scope on him like four or five times through all this. And the finally get set up, uh, you know, crosshairs on him. It's downhill slope. He's quartering to me. And so I'll say this. If I, you know, you go on Facebook or Instagram, you see those, you know, shoot or pass. You know, here's this image of this buck or bear. You know, do you shoot or do you pass? If somebody had presented this image to me, I guarantee you nine out of 10 times, I would have said pass. Of course, that's a terrible shot. You know, downhill, quartering to me you know strong quartering to me i don't have a clean shot of vitals you know it's a frontal shot blah 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 everything was wrong with it um but in the moment that all went out the window i figured i've got uh he's still standing there i have this shot his is three by three or better and um and i'm nervous as all heck and so put the crosshairs on i think you know it kind of started blacking out at this point um put the crosshairs what i think are you know just above his shoulder more towards his neck and squeeze the shot off and he's gone and i'm sitting there still just trembling i'm just a wreck um side note First shot of the day heard in the entire basin. So I was feeling kind of cool about that. Um, and it turns out it was the only shot of the day that I heard in the basin. So all those hunters, um, it's hunt, hunting ain't easy. <laughs> um, and I've been that guy so many times that I hear somebody else's rifle go off. And I'm like, damn it, somebody just got a deer. Um, anyways, buck's gone. I'm trying to glass down in this area and see you know could i just magically see a big splatter of blood where he was standing and of course i can't and so i'm at this point i'm taking pictures of where it where this was i want to make sure that i've got this marked well so when i go down and start looking for sign um blood trail whatever i'm looking the right spot 
and I'm giving him, I, I tell myself, I'm going to give it a half hour before I go down there. So I do. And uh, I hike down. I kind of make a, a loop t- to get there. I kind of go down off, to, you know, kind of work off to the side a little bit and come in from the side. Um, get down there and uh, no buck within sight. Um, no blood. I can't quite tell even where he was standing. So spent a few minutes uh, and then, then figured, and I, I figured out where he was standing because you could see where he had dug into the soil to kind of launch and get out of there. And so that was helpful. And then got in on my hands and knees in that spot and um, sobering reality hits. And uh, there's like, I see like five splatters of green slime and uh, I'm like, ah, shoot, you know, this is, this is a gut shot deer. Um, so at that point, I kind of start looking around more. Um, there's a little, some green slime going across the log to the right, literally across like a slot, like a slot, like it slid across. Um, so, and it looked like that's the direction he went. Um, so I'm finding these little splatters of green slime, no blood. Um, and I'm thinking, well, the internet tells me to wait (laughs) and the internet tells me to wait at least two hours. So it's been a half hour. And the reason I don't want to go in and and track this animal too quickly is because if it's gut shot, it's going to take at least two hours to die, maybe longer. And if I bump it between now and then. It's going to have the capacity to run a long ways if I bump it. And that just prolongs the agony of not finding it. Um, so a buddy of mine, Dave, who's a, uh, he's a biologist and he's a hunter. He's been hunting all his life. Um, he's shot, you know, many, many dozens of, of animals and deer. Um, I sent him a picture of the, what I see. And I'm like, this is, this is gut shot, right? You know, what's, what's next? What's your advice? And he, he actually suggested four to five hours waiting or actually three to five hours wait and um, to give it plenty of time so that when I do find it, you know, it's dead. And, you know, on, on the basis that it's probably only going to go initially, you know, a, c- a couple hundred yards at most, if not even less. And so I'm like, wow, that's going to be tough. That's, that's gonna be a long wait, but it's the right thing to do. So, um, so I figure we'll give this to a five and I'm coming up with all these elaborate plans of how to grid search the area. You know, I'll do a, a 20 by 20 area and then I'll do a, you know, a 50 by 50 yard area and then a hundred by hundred yard area. And I'm going to focus on downhill from where I am and all this stuff and mentally going through the, all these gyrations about how to, how to do this. Five o'clock, I'm going to have about two hours of sunlight left to find the deer. And if I don't, then I'm coming back in the morning and I'm going to continue this search uh, the next morning because uh, that deer's dead. You know, I've shot that deer. It's going to die. It's not like it's, it's not like I just graze its hip. Um, So I need to do this. I need to get this done. And uh, really dreading the idea of coming back the next day because at that point, it's, it's not going to be much of a recovery. But, uh, Anyways, 
I've got this elaborate idea of, of doing a grid search. And so at five o'clock, I start after it. Um, and at this point, the grid search goes out the window and I kind of just follow my nose, um, thinking that if I was the deer, you know, I'm, I'm going to bail to the right, which is towards the creek, and I'm going to bail downhill. Um, and as I do so and, and follow this creek downhill, you know, there's lots of, there's, there's beds and there's, there's, you can see where deer move through these thickets frequently and there's beds. And I just basically walked down the creek, uh, drainage, um, and about 150, 160 yards down, uh, I see the deer out in front of me laying down. And so complete luck. I don't know. I'll say maybe there's some intuition that was right. And that intuition came from, you know, listening to hundreds of hours of podcasts and, and watching deer when I can and, and, you know, listening to others share their stories and whatnot, but, uh, or it was just luck. Yeah. I don't know if it was smart or luck or both, but, um, there he was. And, uh, you can, you know, you've got, you've, you've probably, you can see the video on Instagram, um, where I, I talk, talk through like, okay, I found him. Now I'm going to go up and, and, and check him out. And so got down there and, uh, beautiful buck, just really beautiful face. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous deer, gorgeous deer, cool rack, first buck ever. Um, couldn't be happier with, with the, the quality in terms of, you know, older, not old, he's not like an eight year old deer, but mature buck, um, that has seen, you know, seen a few seasons here on the mountain. And, uh, and I found him within 10 minutes of when I started walking for him, looking for him. Uh, I'm certain that if I'd followed that path earlier, you know, I don't know how much earlier, but there's a point at which if I'd followed that path earlier, I would have just bumped that deer. Um, there were several active beds between where I shot him and where I found him that could he could have used in those two hours. Um, entirely possible he did, but uh, I'm certain that there's a point if I just gone bailing down looking for him like an hour after, he probably would have bounced and it would have made things a lot more difficult. So um, anyways, I'm glad I didn't do the whole grid search that I was plotting in my head because that would have taken me the wrong way and wasted a lot of time and I probably wouldn't have found him that night. Um, so got down to him pretty quickly, you know, five fifteen, and, uh, took a couple pictures. And then at that point it's like, okay, the work is, the work is on. This is not a, this is a good size animal and I've got some work to do. He's been gut shot, which means, uh, you know, I've got some meat to, to protect or, or try to salvage. Um, and my, it kind of threw me off though, you know, in all honesty, my, preference you know in my very limited history of field dressing animals <laughs> since the only one I'd, I'd killed before was a bear you know the year before my preference is to use a gutless method you know is to is to come down the back come down the dorsal you know the spine dorsal cut along the spine and start peeling um you know pulling the skin off and uh and then taking the major the major meat meat groups out you know taking the shoulder taking the hip you know hip roast butt roast whatever you want to call it um, taking the back straps 
flip it over, do the same thing. Um, what threw me off in this case was that he was shot uh, low and through the gut. The exit wound was right, you know, imagine where a deer's belly button would be. The exit wound was like right there, center of center of the gut on the bottom of his belly. Um, the entrance wound, I wasn't sure where it was until I, I got a little further into to breaking him down. But um, I knew his gut shot. And I also had the complicating factor of, do I want to recover the cape in such a way as to be able to do a, like a shoulder mount, do a, a really good, you know, taxidermy mount with the, of this deer. Because your intentions of what you're going to do with the Cape or in terms of, you know, mounting the deer affect your approach and your strategy to breaking it down in the field. So I had some of these conflicting thoughts and, and uh, a lot of adrenaline and whatnot. And so I did my best in terms of, um, breaking them down, you know, gutted it initially, but probably didn't do a very good job of gutting it since it was already blasted through the stomach. Um, broke it down, uh, got the, you know, got the, the hind quarters out, got the front shoulder out, kind of flipped over to the same, got the back straps. Um, I was, uh, what's ironic is I didn't do as good a job dressing and breaking down this deer as I did the bear. And it's just so weird to me that, you know, second time with a smaller animal um, with skin that's easier to cut in the shade as opposed to out in the sun, that I didn't do as good a job with this deer as with the bear. But, you know, it is what it is. We, we all have our learning path and process. And um, so anyways, got that all work done. Took about two hours. Uh, I look forward to being better at this and I look forward to being faster at it. But uh, it took about two hours, and of course, in this case, salvaging. I, I took the head and about nine inches of, of neck cape, you know, which ultimately has no purpose, but it's what I it's what I did, um, and uh, loaded up the pack. And so I figured out in retrospect because I figured out how much weight the 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 major meat components were, and the head. So I figure my pack at that point with all my optics my gun, you know, the gear that I had out for the day, the water that I still had and the deer was probably about 85 pounds. And I had about a 600 foot climb to get out of this basin. Um, and then about a, and about a two mile walk, uh, about a half mile of that was the climb out and about a one and a half mile walk on the trail. And so this was just grueling and I was tired and mentally just shot. And so, I made a couple bad decisions in terms of getting out of here. I, you know, I said, Oh, I'll just walk laterally across the basin, you know? Um, but, but there's, there's all these finger ridges and all these drainages. And of course, one of them had to have water in it, which means the bushes around it were super thick. I could hear the water just trickling. Um, and the bushes were in, in impenetrable. So that screwed me up. Um, but, uh, Ultimately, it took about three hours uh, to climb out of this basin and then get to the trail. Probably an hour and a half of it was that first mile. And then the other hour and a half was the mile and a half on the trail and got back to camp. 
Um, so thankfully, you know, at this point I'm up on the ridge back at camp and, uh, and the winds with the winds blowing. So it's probably like 50 degrees, which isn't that cool, but it's super windy, which is good for the meat. You know, I could hang it up, <clears throat> hang it all up, hang, hang it in these, uh, in the game bags up on a tree and it's got good, cool wind blowing past it, which keeps the flies off, helps it dry out. Um, just beneficial in, in all ways. And so I'm, I'm pleased about that and uh, laid down. I didn't really lay down until about midnight and I wanted to get up really early. I want to get up about four or so and, and get out of the start and get the hike out done with the meat. Cause I know I'm going to take two trips. Um, I'm figuring that I'm, I'm well over a hundred pounds with gear and camp and, uh, and, and buck. And so I'm strong, but I'm not that strong. And, uh, my, my camp equipment's light, but it's not that light. And so I'm not going to do this all in one shot. I'm, I'm definitely more suited to doing extra miles than I am to doing all of this weight in one shot. And so I got up, um, I laid down for about four hours. I did not sleep very well having, you know, raw meat hanging in a tree, you know, close to camp. Um, I'm still, I'm still thinking about black bears, super unlikely. Um, but you know, bears are hungry as are coyotes and such. And so, um, it's always a possibility that I could have had some visitors in camp. So didn't sleep very well, but, uh, got up around four and loaded up the meat and, uh, and powered it out and got out to, uh, well, I got up at four, probably hit the, hit the camp, hit the trail, like four thirty or 445. Anyways, got the first load out um, by about seven and uh, took a little break and and hammered back in the five miles to camp um, for the second load, which uh, that round trip took me until about 1 p.m. And at that point, I was done. I was, you know, a day and a half into the season and um, I had meat in the cooler I had a pretty cool head with some some neat antlers, and uh, and I was ready to ready to head home. So that was the trip. Um, I never it's it, it's been a long time since I've ever like thought I would actually say I you know filled my tag on opening day, but uh, I think you know it's not the opening day hunt that was successful it was the it was the many many days and hours of of scouting and hunting that led to that um you know when i filled out my tag report it was like you know how many days did you hunt i'm like uh, i hunted 197 days <laughs> leading up to this um you know you can't put that but uh so i put one day i hunted this tag this season i hunted one day um for this zone. So, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all, it's all cumulative. Um, it's all cumulative. And, uh, every day out there, I absolutely know adds up to more knowledge and more experience and, and better intuition for the next hunt. And I think if you're, if you're a newbie like me, then, um, you know, just just go like, just, just get out there. Don't wait. There's no perfect moment. Like you just got to go. If you don't have a tag in your pocket, you want to hunt deer next year, go hunt, you know, air quotes, go, go scouting. Now, if you can go find bucks, 
you know, without a tag in your pocket in September, then or October, then the next year when you have a tag in your pocket, you'll be able to find bucks. Um, or same thing with scouting a new area. You go out there and 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 scout and do it during the season. You know, don't mess it up for another hunter. Don't be the don't be the hunter that that you know <laughs> makes a lot of noise and and screws it up for other hunters or crowds somebody. But um, you just got to be out there. That's the bottom line. Um, so what's what's happened the last week or so? Um, today I I dropped the head off to. Uh, Sibley Skullworks. Kyle Sibley is a guy in Vacaville, California, that does um, he does skull cleaning, and so I'm going to do a Euro mount with this with this buck, and uh, I'm looking forward to to having him clean it up for me and um, get that back in I don't know a couple months, and then uh, I'll find some cool cool plaque or mount to do with it, and uh, I'll I'll mount it that way, and then um, I spent last Monday. Uh, breaking all the meat down and, and, and trimming it and whatnot. And so I, I weighed everything. I had 63 pounds of meat, um, on the bone and the bones are all, uh, cleaned up and set aside vacuum pack for the dogs. And, uh, all the trim meat is set aside vacuum pack for the dogs. And then I've got the meat all, all vacuum packed as well. Um, it's kind of a sobering, unfortunate note on that. Um, gut shots are bad. Like this is uh, gut shots are are not good for the meat. They're not good for uh, for finding an animal quickly. And I will be, you know, I have to I have to say um, I'm going to avoid that in the future. I'm going to practice uh, more, you know, multiple terrain, varied terrain shooting uh, to become better at that shot. And better at, at how to get my placement or my rest set up. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to shoot 300 yards or 100 yards, whatever whatever you're shooting. But it's, it's one thing to shoot at a range on a concrete bench. Um, it's a whole nother deal to to do it. You know, seated or kneeling um, on a on a slope um, of any kind, any type of terrain. And so I need to practice that. And then the other thing is. I'm going to be a little more disciplined about the shot I take. Uh, that buck was standing there. He wasn't, he wasn't spooked. He was concerned. He was aware. Um, but I, I think part of it may have just been standard practice. If that buck was coming from a bed and was moving out in the open to go get a drink in this little trickle of water, it probably paused at that spot because it was still back in the trees. It was in the shade back in the trees and it was considering moving out into the open and bucks don't like to step out in the open. They don't like to be seen like that. It's exposed. It exposes them to hunters, it exposes them to mountain lions, it exposes them to all kinds of stuff. And so that buck may have just been stepping, pause there to get the wind, to get the sound, to get the sights figured out before it stepped out that extra five to 10 feet to be in the open. Um, and so it's entirely possible that I didn't need to rush this shot. I mean, I, I don't think I rushed it in terms of my back and forth, but it's possible that I could have waited and I probably should have waited to have a better broadside shot. So practicing these downhill, you know, or up, upslope or downslope shots, 
absolutely needed. And also waiting for a better shot on a broadside animal um, or better yet, you know, slightly quartering away instead of this hard quartering too. Um, because the fact that I made a bad shot delayed my ability to track and locate the deer quickly. Um, and it also affected the, the field breakdown, you know, the butchering in the field and it affected the meat as well. I know for certain that some of this meat is tainted with that gut shot taint and if you don't know what it is, well, you will when you have it. You will when you when you when you get some meat that's that's <laughs> that's that's effective. And if you if you do know what it is, then you know what I'm talking about. And so um, the dogs are going to get a little more little more of this venison than I wish I wanted them to. Um, none of it's going to go to waste, but I'm definitely you know I'm definitely not pleased with myself in that regard. So where this should be like a super ecstatic, you know, high fives, fist pump um, result. Uh, I've got some lessons to take away from it. And um, I've got some humility to, to live with uh, in that regard. Um, I'm sure there are, I'm sure many people that listen to the podcast that have hunted a lot will say, dude, it happens. And I know it happens. I, I get that. So I'm not, you know, like I'm not, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about too much. Um, but, you know, hey, we're out there for a couple of reasons. We're out there for the adventure, you know, or I'm out there. I'm out there for the adventure. I'm out there for the, the puzzle, for solving that puzzle, finding that deer. Um, I could do that with a, with a Nikon camera and be excited. Um, but I'm also out there for, you know, taking it, taking the, the process all the way through, which is a successful kill, doing the work to get the, get the animal out and then enjoying the benefits of that, that meat. Um, the bear meat that I took out last year is some of the cleanest red meat I've ever experience it it has less scent to it less smell to it than does you know beef from the from the store so incredibly neutral so i know i know how good it can be and um so i definitely you know i'm feeling a little sense of humility and and disappointment in terms of that and there's only one person that can that i can be disappointed with and that's myself because i own this entire process so definitely you know take it to heart um in terms of your own shooting, uh, buck fever is a real deal. Uh, you know, if you were presented with this picture on a postcard, shooter pass, what would you choose? What would you advise somebody else to do? Um, you know, give this stuff some time. Uh, my guess is I could have sat there all day. That buck might have bounced out, and other bucks would have come in later. Or um, as as a lot of the the podcasts I like to listen to talk about. You know, if you don't spook the deer today, there's a good chance it will be there tomorrow. Um, and so that also is is truth. I could have sat there and watched this buck. And um, it was Saturday, you know, could have sat there and watched this buck do his thing. If he never presented the right shot, I could come back to that spot same time the next day. And there's a very good chance that that buck or one like him would have been doing the same thing 
the next day in that same spot. So um, anyways, that is, that's the story on my first buck. Um, it all adds up, you know, lots of adventures, lots of lessons, uh, lessons continue to stack up. And I'm super excited about what I do have uh, from this animal um, and, uh, and looking forward to applying these lessons to, to future opportunities as well. Um, which, which continue, um, California is a great state for hunting opportunities. I've still got a tag for down central California, um, a chase, chase, uh, chase some of those high mountain muleys, um, in late October. And I've got a bear tag that, uh, between October and November, I think I'll be able to get into four or five different zones with my bear tag in hand and probably stack up a total of eight to 10 days, um, with bear hunting opportunity as well. And so, um, looking forward to, to hopefully getting a late season bear this year. That's got a little more fat and a little more, little more fur on him than my bear last year. Um, and I've also got this lonely tree stand. I've got this tree stand I put up in the woods, um, in an area that's been closed, um, pretty much the entire summer. And so I'm looking forward to getting into that tree stand and sitting and just watching what kind of wildlife cruises by in the woods when I'm 20 feet up. <laughs> I set this thing up and, uh, I don't know, in July, you know, it's been two and a half months and I haven't been back to it a single time. So I don't know when I'm going to get it back to it, but at some point I'm going to get back to it. And maybe that's where, maybe that's where I'll see a bear. Um, so plenty of opportunity still remains, um, looking forward to getting out there and, and being in the mountains in the fall. And then, uh, and then definitely, definitely looking forward to getting some more bear meat in the freezer, uh, and another buck and I'll do it better this time. So anyways, that's it for me signing off. Uh, hunting ain't easy, but, uh, it is doable. It is possible. And if you're in it for the adventure, then you're always going to have uh, a rewarding experience. So thanks for listening. You'll find me on Instagram, hunting ain't, hunting ain't easy at Instagram. And as always, I look forward to your feedback, uh, commentary, and questions that you shoot me there. So thanks for listening.